This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to equip local churches everywhere to raise up uncommon leaders. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning, so hit follow and share this episode with your team. Now, let's jump into another episode for all of us who lead from the middle. This is the year of the leader. This is the Leading Second Podcast. to the Leading Second Podcast, Season 6. My name is Brandon Stewart. So excited you're here today. We've, of course, created this space for all of us who lead from the middle. So for church leaders everywhere who lead from the second chair or want to get it right for your pastors, welcome home. We created this space just for you. Hey, today's conversation is going to be fun. You know, years ago, I was following a workout plan that was centered on the concept of muscle confusion, the idea that if you're constantly changing your workouts and your movements, your body will be forced to respond and get stronger quicker. And, you know, the last couple of weeks on the podcast, we've had some brilliant conversations speaking to your heart and speaking to you as a leader. Today, we're going a totally different route. We're going muscle confusion today. Uh, We have a conversation on organizational leadership and development with my friend Scott Ritzheimer of Scale Architects. I'm so excited for how this conversation is going to help pastors and leaders everywhere. So welcome to another great conversation with Leading Second. You know, today's conversation is going to be focused on organizational leadership, and you may not be aware that Leading Second has an entire coaching arm just for organizational coaching. We call it Leading Second Build. This is the capacity in which we can come alongside pastors and churches to architect team alignment and healthy culture, you know, from from a, a culture and structure standpoint. If you are feeling stuck in your organization, if you feel like things are out of alignment, you're having trouble pinpointing why, I'd encourage you to reach out to us and consider Leading Second Build. It is an effective way that we have to come alongside churches to kind of red dot where you're at and design a plan forward for your structure and for your team. We'd love to talk with you if you're feeling stuck in that capacity. Leading Second Build. Okay, so for today's conversation, we are talking with Scott Ritzheimer. Scott is the CEO of Scale Architects, uh, which is the application arm of Predictable Success, a a book and coaching platform that Leading Second's proud to partner with in our ministry, Leading Second Build. It's been a game changer for us, and I am amazed at its effectiveness in helping churches everywhere. Scott is a brilliant leader. He's a brilliant coach himself, and he speaks to organizational development and seasons so well. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Scott Ritzheimer. Well, Scott, welcome to the Leading Second podcast. I'm so uh, excited and honored that you're here today. Thanks for joining us. Brandon, it is such a privilege to be here. I'm very excited about this conversation as well. 
So glad you're here. And uh, I, I'm forever grateful to the friend years ago that handed me, I was on a, on site at a church years and years ago. They handed me a book called Predictable Success. I did what you're supposed to do. I didn't read it for like four years, you know, <laughs> right? Uh, it's sad, but, but uh, you know, a need came about in my coaching. I dusted it off and I have to say it's been one of the, the, the single most helpful books I have ever read in, in ministry and in coaching. And, uh, so I, I'm grateful for that. And I'd love if you would just take a minute and tell, uh, tell everybody what you do with scale architects and how that works into that world. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, one of the things I love about scale architects is we're the, we're with the implementation arm of predictable success. So yeah. I get to go out and brag about predictable success all the time. And I'm not arrogant cause I didn't write it. You know, exactly. Les, uh, who's <laughs> a, a mutual uh, friend of ours, a former guest on your show, uh, is the, the mastermind behind this. And uh, the way is he's kind of like our Morpheus, if you will, predictable <laughs> success is kind of like stepping into the matrix because what it does, you know, I, <laughs> I, I get the privilege of introducing people all the time and it's a little like sorry not sorry like it, it forever changes the way that you see your organization and all the organizations you come into contact right. with you know you're like standing in line at the dmv and it's like this is the big rut you know or you you <laughs> see the new like you see the new like wings in philly open up down the road and it's like okay early struggle here we go so it, it really so does funny. it's 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 so simple but it's so powerful and it, it really just changes the the shape of what we do and so uh, uh, my, my story is actually similar to yours in the sense that uh, I was introduced to the model through the book. It's actually from a podcast like this. That's why I love doing these shows because podcasts really genuinely changed my life. And mm. uh, you know, uh, kind of similar to your story. So I got I actually read it right away. But like like we do with all great books, is we read them and then we don't do anything about them for yeah. four years. So yeah. that, that was that was kind of my story. So what had happened? I was leading an organization called Start Church at the time, and. Uh, it's fantastic, fantastic organization. It was a for-profit business that worked in the nonprofit world. We helped start, launch, scale somewhere around twenty thousand different nonprofits and business, a few businesses as well. While I was there, and uh, and so we're just seeing it happen at scale. And a lot of them are succeeding. A lot of them aren't succeeding. And, and it was all just it was a little bit of a mystery before really tapping into predictable success. But the bigger mystery was for our own organization because we we actually started coming out of the 2008 uh, financial crisis, we actually mm. relaunched then. And it, it was just a crazy, crazy ride. And we don't have to go into all of that because it's a different audience. But suffice it to say, I'm in my mid-20s leading a, a multi-million dollar organization. I have no wow. idea what I'm doing, right? We're just making it up as we go. <laughs> and we're having a ton of fun doing it until we don't anymore. And mm. I, I, rem I still remember like showing up and you know, it used to be like, what's our growth strategy? We're going to do this, do that. And then we do it. And then it started not working. And, and we started uh, having like these significant leadership issues with, with some of the people on our team that, you know, leaders at the time were just kind of like, hey, you, you, you're breathing, you, you're hired. And then you've been exactly. here the longest. Now you're a leader. You know, that, that was our leadership team. Wonderful people. Some of my best friends in the world, tons of shared exper experience, mountains of sweat equity. Uh, but but we're, we're spinning our wheels, right? And some of them are rising to the occasion, others aren't. It's like, what's going on here? Uh, we, you know, we, we had read a bunch of books and, and they, they kind of fit, but they didn't, it, you know, it's, how does this land? How does it work? And 
ultimately, I, again, I heard about predictable success on the podcast, and I hear about this stage called Whitewater. Yep. Uh, and for those of you who heard Les's episode, you know what that means. For those of you who don't, I'm sure we'll dive into it here in a moment. But suffice it to say, it's it is the result of success. That's so right. So it, it's not something that you do wrong. It's the result of doing something right long enough that the complexity of all of it catches up with you. Wow. And you know, for us, especially as as we started getting into this Whitewater period, it felt like we were walking off the edge of the map every time, right? You're like pl church planters. It's the same way. I mean, it's this kind of entrepreneurial thing of, hey, we're just going to go figure it out as we go. There's not a roadmap for this. There's not a model for this. You know, there's there's other people who are doing somewhat similar stuff, but there's something unique about us and the way that we're doing it. And so it kind of felt like we we're drawing the map behind us every step of the way. And that's fine whenever you're able to take a step forward. But when you start fumbling over and like tripping over stuff, it, it gets really hard to, to move forward, let alone make the map yep. behind you. Yep. And when I listened to Les describe that stage, it's just exquisite detail. Uh, it was the very first time that I had uh, that kind of you are here moment. You, you wow. remember, do you remember malls? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if our audience is old enough to remember malls. I look young, yeah. but I do remember malls. No, I definitely uh, so, do. <laughs> so uh, there was this time I was I was around uh, eight, nine years old, something, ten years old, something like that. And my mom was like, you know, didn't want to do whatever I wanted to do or however. So she's like, fine, just meet me at J.C. Penney. And uh, you remember J.C. Penney? This is we're dating everything here now. But meet me at J.C. Penney. <laughs> and so. I go to like Foot Locker or something or GameStop or some some you know store like that. And then I realize oh, it's time to go and meet up with my mom. And I look around like there's no JCPenney. And and it's this big mall, you know, it's busy, there's people all over the place. And I started like I started getting a little scared. I was like, right. I, like I have no idea what to do. I don't know where to go. And uh, I remember seeing you remember the little like pylons that they had by the entrances, the big oh, yeah. like triangle things, and yep. uh, on it's a map and then on on the map, it says, you are here. Yep. And as soon as I knew where I was, I could go from where I was to, okay, there's JCPenney, and I knew exactly where I needed to go. It wasn't hard to get there, but I had to exactly. know where I was first to be able to get there. And when I heard about Whitewater, it was the very first time I realized we never walked off the map. There was a map all along. We just didn't know it existed. And yep. that map is predictable success. Yep. And, and what you're saying is so true. I mean, there's the old saying, nothing fails like success. Right. That, that you, you get to a point where you've done the right things and it still slams you right into problems. I'm noticing this, Scott, right now, just so many leaders th through whatever their journey has been, even just the last few years, you, you, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. But but hope deferral is a real deal. When you slam into issues, maybe they're the issues of getting started or the issues of growth or whatever, you can slam into problems and it it can create hope deferral. And I, I've met so many leaders right now who just feel a little heart sick because they just don't know where to go. And that's a little bit of what we wanted to talk about today is just where, where we get stuck along the way because there there is hope and there is strategy and there is wisdom for these moments and for these seasons but sometimes we just need the mall map i love the example yeah. by the way we just That's need exactly the mall map. will you take a minute and just so we're not you know talking crazy here i, I i've always lived under the notion that podcasts are for snacks not meals right this is this is not the course this is this is just the the snack on the airplane you know so to speak but um, give everybody just the briefest kind of look when we say predictable success and, and we're talking about stages, what in the world is that? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Reader's Digest version, there are seven stages. Four of them are places we get stuck. Four of them are really hard. Three yeah. of them uh, are, are not very hard. Uh, they, they feel pretty good, but only two of them are good, which means one of those feel good times is is a lie. And so the way it works, it's the it's kind of the chronological transition of any organization, any group of two or more. It's, a, it's as valid for a church as it is for uh, right. a, a business as it is for, I did a podcast on a marriage. So any group of two or more goes through these stages. Specifically here, we're talking about organizations. We're talking about churches. So what happens uh, at the very, very beginning is uh, is this stage is a hard stage. It's one of those four difficult times. It's a place where a lot of churches get stuck and it's called early struggle. Yep. And early struggle, it's just a fight for survival. Like, can, can we get this thing viable? Can we get the resources we need? Can we get the minimum number of attendees, right? Can we get ties and <laughs> offerings to where they need to be? Not for anyone to make bank on this or get rich on it, but we just have a viable, healthy organization, maybe That's small, right? right? Uh, we're not talking about some massive thing, but it's just, it, but it's working. And uh, and so early struggle is all about that. Can can just can we get enough people? Do do we know uh, what our message is? Do we know who we are and who we're attracting? Uh, in the business world, we talk about finding a profitable, sustainable market, and that's not language we like to use in the nonprofit world. But it's a, effectively the same thing: is do we right. have we found a place to attract a, a, a viable, healthy com congregation? Yeah. And when we do, we get up out of that early struggle, that fight for survival, and we step into very very technical stage here it's called fun <laughs> you know and, and it's fun because it's fun it, it's right. not early struggle anymore and this is for those who have kind of been there and aren't there anymore you, these are the glory days we look back to many times you remember when it's where the myths and legends are born it's where we have these just amazing stories that you know five years from now won't even be half true but they'll be even more amazing <laughs> and, and and you know it's like that that time when we had 75 salvations and our total church membership was 50 right right it's, right, it, right, and right. it's just these spectacular things that happen uh you know folks are getting saved all the time like everyone is evangelist not just in terms of like, hey, are we bringing people into the kingdom? But like, are we are we making disciples? Are we coming together? There's just a vibrancy that it's it's almost intoxicating, right? In in the best possible way. And and it, as churches, it's where we really just get to drive into whatever it is that is is kind of our passion as a church. So some are more evangelistic, some are more, uh, you know, uh, discipleship oriented. It doesn't matter what that is, but it's just that we're di we've dialed that in and we've got it figured out. Yeah. And it's just rinse, recycle, repeat, and have a lot of fun doing it. So we're in this fun stage, and and as you're doing that, you're growing, right? There's more people coming in. There's you need more staff. Uh, there's more volunteers. Every single dial in the organization is going up and up and up. And as it does, there's this complexity that starts to build up. You know, when mm. it was just you, you were the only staff member. You didn't have to communicate your plans to anybody, right? You That's just right. had to do it. And it was wow. hard because you had to do it, but it wasn't complicated. Hmm. And uh, and now that you've got five, you know, staff members and seventy five uh, volunteers, or you know, fill in the blank, the numbers don't really matter. It's just more, and that complexity builds and builds and builds and builds. And uh, and and what happens is it starts to overwhelm our ability to execute. Right? That's right. We, we start we start dropping the ball. Maybe it's on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's in you know we've, we we end up with a really lackluster small group. Uh, enrollment for us. just something goes wrong. We launch a new campus and, and we just can't really get the rhythm right. And, and what happens is that complexity builds up 
And, and, and the way that it feels inside the organization is like our levers for growth aren't working anymore. I remember mm-hmm. I was talking with a pastor, uh, his organization, his not organization, but his church was in Whitewater. And I said like, hey, if I were to say like, what are the one or two levers that, that you could pull on that would like really just drive growth as you see it, right? And again, we don't have to get caught up on what the definition for growth is. It doesn't matter. Like money is a, a, a function, but it's not why we do it. Numbers, butts and seats, you know, to just be frank with it, that's a number that's, you know, that, that matters, but it's not why we do this. But when, when, when those levers stop working, it gets really confusing because it makes sense yep. that the levers don't work in early struggle because we don't even know what they are in the first place. Right. But when the right. lever you've pulled on for the last five years that's resulted in 20 to 50 to 200% growth, when it doesn't work, that's really confusing. And, and, and so what happens is we go into this stage, again, because of the complexity, we go into this stage called whitewater. The, uh, the complexity overwhelms our ability to deliver consistent quality, to, to, to do whatever it is that we do and do it well. And for a leader, it can be earth shaking, especially if you're there for a long time. You know, the first little bit, there's like this denial that happens. Yeah, I said, oh, just, you know, we had this staff member and we, they needed to be replaced. Or just, and it was that one little thing. Or, uh, uh, yeah, we just didn't focus on, on this volunteer team. They, they weren't in the loop on some other communication. We got it fixed. Or, yeah, it was just a bad sermon series. I, I didn't prepare enough. We, sure. we just kind of chalk it up to some kind of tactical error. And to an extent, that's true. But Whitewater is marked by the fact that we are consistently making tactical errors across the board. Mm. And it's the same people that were just crushing it six months ago. And it's like, how did these people get dumb? And, and they didn't get dumb. They're just in Whitewater. And so you and your team, you've got to find a way of overcoming this complexity. And it it takes a new approach as a leader uh, and as a pastor. It takes a new uh, type of team to get there. But if you can, if you can kind of bring the system and process in that you need, if you can bring the structure that you have to create intentionally in Whitewater, you get those things in the right uh, order, you get them in the right sequence and it unlocks what we call predictable success. There you go. And that predictable success is where we can scale, where we can grow to whatever size we want, whatever size the market will allow. And and this happens in cycles. So you can have a local church in predictable success and you can have a denomination in predictable success and everything in between. Uh, but it, it's marked by this ability to, to really start to scale, to overcome the complexity that we've been facing and do all of this at a, a much bigger scale. Uh, so just kind of round this out. I'm going to go through these last few a little uh, quicker, but uh, the next one is treadmill. And, and treadmill is a, another one of those problematic stages. And what happens is those systems and processes that saved the day in Whitewater, right? The, the, the ones that like literally saved campus number three, uh, those same systems and processes, they start to grow and expand and swell. And we lean more and more into the predictable side of predictable success. And we actually become over-processed for the very first time. And, and it's really challenging because we're like, yep. well, now what do we do? Like systems and processes were the solution. Now they're the problem. How, how, do, we, you know, how do we reconcile that? And, and it takes the team actually looking at it and saying, okay, it's not always about the next system and process. It's not always about more efficiency. Sometimes it's about actually going in and creatively breaking things to stay in predictable success. Mm. And if you can do that, you can get back to predictable success. You can stay there for years, decades, uh, you know, m- millennia, really. Uh, there's, there's theoretically no timeline, but 
just over time when there's so much to protect and there's so much to keep moving and there's just the whole machine, we tend to really start to over rely on systems and process. We tend to over rely on consensus and kind of camaraderie and getting everyone's buy in and opinion. And what happens is we fall into the big rut. And the big rut sounds terrible from the outside. What's even harder about it is, is it unrecognizable from the inside. Yep. When you're in the big rut as a, a leadership team, you don't recognize it anymore. You've so given to those systems and processes and they've worked for you that you think, hey, this is just it, right? This is why a lot of, you know, why we're seeing a lot of change and transition around brick and mortar churches right now, or some of the more, you know, uh, uh, you know standard denominations is we've been doing it this way for a really long time, but. But That's society, right. culture, our environment, us, everything else has kind of moved on. We're still stuck in this model and this mode that's not adapting with time. And unfortunately, the only way out of the big rut is uh, if we don't make massive, massive changes is to fall into the final stage, which is death rattle. And we call it death rattle because there's this last little spark of like, hey, let's bring in a new pastor. Let's get this thing moving. Let's let's bring in a new voice or do some more, you know, some new messaging or marketing or whatever it may be. But it's just too little too late. And the organization ceases to exist. So mm. what we're really looking for as an organization is to get into and stay in either that fun stage or that predictable success stage. But where we tend to get stuck is in that early struggle. We just don't ever get the thing fully resourced. We never go full time as a pastor, maybe. Uh, yep. Or in that whitewater stage, which, you know, without predictable success, we don't have language to even describe what's going on. Why is it difficult again? And so those are two big areas, particularly for churches, uh, kind of in, in, in the, the circles that you and I run in, that where we get stuck. Yeah. And, and r- right now, just in our world, no churches in all three of those, you know, those big three, right? Early struggle, whitewater, and treadmill, uh, yeah. f- for sure. And and they can be disorienting. They can be frustrating, each in their own unique way. Here's what I thought I'd ask you. This is a leading second podcast, and this is a leadership development space. So let's let's say a pastor is leading the church and making their way through a stage like whitewater. And I know you, you particularly work with a lot of organizations that, that sit in this stage. And we talked to less, if anyone wants to go back and listen, we talked to less quite a bit about early struggle on the, the previous episode there, but with whitewater, what would you say about what is needed in the leadership team around uh, that pastor as they make their way through whitewater and how is it different? How is it changing? Uh, because yeah. to, to me, to me in the second chair, that's one of the things we have to help identify, lead, be, be flexible with our own job might change. So talk to us about that for a minute. It's 100% right. So especially when you have a great number one, number two, right? Pastor, executive pastor, it doesn't right. matter what the titles are. But when you get that thing working really, really well, that is the rocket fuel that will propel you through fun. Uh, yep. it, I mean, it really is kind of the magic formula. And especially if you can get that relationship working right. But here's the challenge. It's not enough to get through whitewater. Uh, it's not enough to have that number one, number two, and, and we're just going to muscle our way through. That's, that, right. that, that's the model. Right, uh, and uh, you know, there's there's lots of different kind of ways the one-two combination can work, but. But here's the challenge, that one, two, especially the one, two that thrive in getting us out of early struggle and thrive in fun, they do it by being 
you know, creative, by being action oriented, by, yep. uh, by seeing the problem, solving the problem, right? The speed to decision is paramount. The, <laughs> yep. uh, you know, it's just, it's go get it. Uh, we had a, a saying at start church, we are church planners. We get it done. It doesn't matter what it is. Just fix it. And, and, and that's exactly what you need. It's exactly how you thrive in that fun stage. It's exactly why you're stuck in whitewater. That works until it doesn't work anymore. And I, I wish I could tell you it's this magic point that it happens. And it's different for every church and different leaders, different capacities. But what happens is that that kind of bias to action, that leadership by momentum, uh, it, you know, it, it actually starts to lose momentum and it becomes leadership by firefighting. Hmm. And so one of the, one of the best ways to look at it is, Hey, what, what's my, you know, what's my number two doing? Or as a number two, what am I spending the vast majority of my time doing? Am I finishing things? Right. It's like, Hey, hmm. here's the play, execute the play. If you're finishing things, you're good. You're going to have problems. It's going to be difficult. There's gonna be challenges. It'll be stressful at times. It's fine. But when that finishing moves to firefighting, yeah, that's right. Right. That's where we're going to start to stall out. And, and the reason for this is again, we, we need to start bringing in systems and processes. Now that means a thousand things to a thousand different people. But when I'm talking about systems and processes, I'm not really talking about like, what is our check-in procedure for children? Yeah, that's very important. <laughs> we need to have that. Right. Uh, but I'm actually not, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about kind of frontline procedures. I'm talking about this, the, the systems and processes we use for decision-making as an organization. Mm-hmm. Hey, how do we define when it's time to open another campus? What are the criteria yep. we need for the community we're going to launch in? How many people do we need on a launch team before we set uh, somebody out? Uh, if it's a single location, you know, how do we know whenever it's time to do another service? Because we just did another, another service every time there was enough people, but now we're running seven services a weekend and, and like you can't staff that. What's going on? So we're actually looking at how do we, how do we use systems and processes to refine our decisions as a mm. leadership structure. Very good. And unfortunately, your your typical senior pastor and your typical number 2, they can they can kind of design a, at least a decent system, a, de- a decent process, but to ask them to adhere to that on a day in and day out basis is is highly highly problematic. <laughs> right. Well-intentioned, wonderful people. It's just not their wiring. And so to, to, to do that would be to actually deny the wiring that we have. And so what you'll find is that it's not just systems and processes that we need to add. We actually need to add people to the team who think in terms of systems and processes. That's right. And so what ends up happening, though, is we end up personifying the challenge of whitewater, which is we've survived without all these systems and processes from a leadership level. <laughs> and now this guy comes in, this girl comes in, tells you, you need systems and processes. Like, who are you? Like, mm-hmm. what are you thinking? And so what ends up happening is we tend to recognize at some extent, the need for system and process. And we kind of think we can do it on our own. And then that fails. So we go out and find someone else who we think can help us there, but then they're not like us, right? That, that processor type, they may, they love Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I'm a processor. I I love Jesus. Uh, But so it's not that they're not Christians, right? But we might wonder every once in a while because (laughs) they just think so differently. 
And fundamentally, when I'm working with teams, and you guys do coaching, uh, you, you'll attest to this as well, but uh, when I'm working with a team in Whitewater, there's there's tactics and there's tips and there, there's strategies that we're working through. Right? There's very specific steps, but you can't just phone those steps in. You just can't pretend to do those steps. And so fundamentally, what I'm doing is getting visionary and operator teams to embrace the processor leadership style mm. as not just a function of helping us to succeed, but a function of helping us to lead. That's right. And that's a really, really important distinction. That's right. That's so, so well said. Let me ask you this, particularly in some of these situations that are tougher. So we've identified some of the tough seasons are, are of course, early struggle. We've talked about whitewater, treadmills, another one. Um, I'll just kind of wide open question for you here. What are mistakes that you see organizations make in some of these these more challenging seasons or these more challenging yeah. moments. Yeah. It's really helpful to kind of introduce this leadership style language to explain it because it's actually style mistakes that show up as tactical errors. Oh, wow. So oh. There, there's a couple of, there's a handful of different styles that, that there's actually four. So, uh, the first one's the visionary, right? And most of our, our you know, church planters, not necessarily most pastors, but most church planting pastors uh, will have at least a lot of this visionary style. They have ideas. They, they, they're highly, highly uh, driven by a call from the Lord to go and start something, right? They're starters by nature. Uh, effective communicators tend to be very charismatic, and, uh, and so being a starter, it does come at a cost. And that is that in the wake of any great visionary, the wake of any great founding pastor is just this whole trail of unfinished projects, right? It's like great ideas <laughs> that just never really made it across. I don't the know. I don't line. know anything of what you're talking I, about no, here. No, sir. No, none of us that's, that's, you know, that's Jeff. That's not me. Uh, no, but, uh, so there's just this trail of unfinished projects. You know, we see what needs to get done. And then the moment we think, oh, I have to do that, it's just like exhaustion sets in. And mm -hmm. so what'll happen is most of us will kind of intuitively get this, uh, but it, it, there's a, there's kind of an interrupt that happens sometimes in the church world that I'll get to in a moment. But uh, especially in the business world, we tend to be pretty good at going out and finding this kind of uh, in intuitive counterpart, the finisher, right? The, there's, a, there's a type of leader out there who whose peak endorphin rush, like what they love, what they excel at, what they would just die to do every single day is to get stuff done, to finish stuff. And when you can pair up that visionary starter with what we call an operator finisher, right? That, that is, that, that is the thing that gets us out of early struggle. So when you say, Hey, how do we get hung up in early struggle? It's, we tend to do too much of the other things. We tend to do, you know, vision, 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 but no execution. Or we bring in that third style that I mentioned earlier, the processor, we bring them in too soon. It's like, Hey, I need a detail person to help me out. And we get this really, really wonderful, really, really slow person on the team. And, and it just, it grinds things to a halt. And it creates all this frustration because it's like, yes, I need someone to finish. Yes, I need someone who's more detail-oriented than me, but you don't actually need yep. a processor. Th th this is an active conversation we have like within our own Leading Second team like constantly right now. We're sort of this baby fun stage ministry where we're, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of in that stage. And my number two, you know, lead in, in our little team uh, he's brilliant, but he's a processor. And it's interesting because on paper, 
well, he is, he's a secondary operator, uh, are on paper, you know, that's not a match felt like he was the right person, you know, for the job. But I think if he were on the mic, he would talk about the discipline of having to retrain his, his leadership style. And, and we actually have to have to talk this and coach this. And maybe you could even speak to just a minute when a person's maybe in a, a seat where they're a style mismatch for or whatever, because it, it seems possible and he's doing a brilliant job, but it, it's, it's work. It, it's th- something yeah. we have to revisit at times in this stage. Yeah. There's, there, it's, it's a hard part of this conversation because, you know, bringing processors into the mix too early it, 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 it's kind of like putting the brakes from a car on a bicycle. Yep. You know, right. it's like you right. tap them and you're over the handlebars. It's, it's a really <laughs> uncomfortable process. So, uh, but it's like, do we go and fire all of them? No, that's not it. Now, there may it may be that the best thing to do is help them find something else. I mean, just 100% honest. Because sure. otherwise, what we have to ask them to do is say, hey, I understand that gift. And there are going to be little places where that's really, really helpful here. Our, you know, our children's check-in process, but that's not the the way that we're going to govern this organization, right? That, that's not going to be the, the driving factor. And so what I need you to do is step into this, probably in that early stage, step into yep. this operator strength that you have. Now, if they have a secondary style in it, it's not a big deal. They can probably do that pretty well. Right. The other thing that can happen, my operator score is actually very, very low. Uh, it's my lowest mm. of all my scores. I'm a 60 operator. Oh, wow. And I was the de facto operator at Start Church for seven years. We went uh, to, you know, from zero to a multi-million dollar organization. I was young and dumb enough to do that, but it nearly <laughs> killed me. In my, sure. No, j- just genuinely in my mid twenties, my blood pressure was tip- was in the hundred fifties. I was exercising, I was eating well, all those things. I was stressed out of my mind. I loved what I did, but it wasn't a fit for who I was. Mm. So you may it, it doesn't measure capacity. You may be able to do it, but the real question and the hard question for everyone to ask is: Is that the right thing for you to do? Yeah, yeah, very good. And and so to boil that down, though, the the, the thing is you, you want to get people who are uh, at, at least acting like, right? So just kind of make this a little easier for everyone, acting like that visionary operator combination. That's what's going to get this thing up and moving. Yeah. The yeah. reason why businesses do this a little bit better than nonprofits is because of the fourth style, which is the synergist style. That's the people person. Yep. And people people are the ones who are most likely to land in the nonprofit space, right? They're not just mission-minded because a lot of visionaries are very mission-minded, but they are people-oriented. That's right. That's right. And so we end up in nonprofits and churches in, in particular, we end up being over-synergized, over people people oriented. And the very first thing to go from that are the hard charging operators, you know, the, the ones who, who may struggle to play nice with others. Sometimes that style gets suppressed and repressed inside of an organization. We just don't make any room for operators. So it's kind of a long answer to your question. We had to build a little bit of a foundation here, but if you're in early struggle, again, I can give you tips and tricks, but the best thing that you can do is say, Hey, how do we build a culture where I can get one or two or three or 10 operators and, and let them thrive, right? Just give them the vision that they need, point them in the right direction, make sure there's cultural alignment and then, and then go. And, and that's really, really the recipe. Again, there's a lot of like little things that you can do, but the number one thing you can do is create an environment where operators can thrive. Very good. I think I'll, I'll ask you one more question on a season 
that we haven't talked a lot about yet on the podcast. We're going to keep having this conversation from time to time because I find it so valuable. And and obviously we, we, we do on site and, and, you know, work with churches on this. Let's talk about treadmill really briefly. Let's maybe give us a, a key mistake that you see organizations um, make if they find themselves in in treadmill because there are churches that that are there r- right now, especially many many may may have had significant growth season in the two thousands and the twenty tens or you know there, there's a lot of churches that found themselves leading thriving then and now especially as things have changed and you know I'd love to hear you just unpack a mistake or two in treadmill right now yeah so I I have to do this just real quick because I don't want to turn this into the anti-processor okay. show because because <laughs> that is a little bit of where I have to go for treadmill so just to touch on uh on um the the whitewater stage and say hey it, like processors there is redemption and there's yeah that's kind of where you're the hero happens yeah, yeah. So in Whitewater, those same processors that we didn't need, well, now we have a car and we have we have bicycle brakes on it. So it's like yeah, we need yeah. that brake pedal. We need that ability to say no at the right time. We need the system and process. We need to slow down so we can speed up. And so the biggest reason we get stuck in Whitewater is that we don't embrace embrace that style of leadership. Very good. Not just the the processes and systems, but the processor style and leadership. And, and it's when we can get that one working together uh, and, and we get that kind of visionary operator processor synergist, we get all of those linked together. That's what creates predictable success. And, and it's not necessarily that it's easy. I, I want to, it's not that it's like everything is wonderful and everyone agrees on any, everything. That's not it at all. In fact, predictable success is it, it's, it's marked by very, very helpful, beneficial conflict. Uh, At a leadership level, that's really the hallmark of it, is that we've got very vital, helpful, productive VOP conflict, visionary operator processor and synergist conflict. Now, what happens in treadmill is that we start to lean into that too much. And, and, And what happens is something like COVID accelerates that. Yep. Uh, it, you know, when you look at churches that have done really well and really poorly coming out of COVID, a lot of it has to do with how long they were shut down sure. uh, and, and just how well they've been able to respond afterwards. And what you see is even, you know, there's a geography thing to it. There's even a politics thing to it. I'm not going to go into any of that. But even when you control for that, what happened is you had teams that were that, that were more driven by playing it safe, by being predictable. And, and, and didn't create the space for the visionary risk-taking that was necessary. COVID go. was a very difficult time, but it's also a golden opportunity for the church to change the way that she shows up, hmm. right? And, and when you look at those that did, and I'm not just talking about going on virtual online, like it's, it's, again, it's none of the tips or tactics, but it's really looking at, hey, how do, we, how do we redefine how we do church? And I'm not even talking about Sunday morning, right? There, there are churches that did great by, by pushing into more missional communities and, and doing stuff in small groups and in homes and in houses. But what, what's necessary to make that happen is we have to recognize that the systems and processes we have were right at one time, but that doesn't mean they're always right. That's right. And we have to have the ability as a leadership team to say, hey, Yes, there's a reason we did that. Yes, there's a reason we built this fence. This fence saved us a whole bunch of times and it is now right in the way of where we need to go. 
And sometimes you have to tear down the fence. You have to tear down the process. You have to get nimble. Uh, I heard someone say early on in, in it that you have to move from playing chess to playing tennis, right? Like the ball's wow. coming over the net. We've got to respond quickly. And the processor style really struggles with that. That's not their sweet spot. And what we, ha what we have to do if we're leaning into that treadmill is we've just got to get a really, really crystal clear and compelling vision, not for where we've been or who we are, but where we're going as an organization. And, and we have to make, there's, there's always difficult decisions that, that are in the way of moving toward that. But by setting that new vision, by, by really digging into, again, the visionary style the, the, and the, the risk that comes with that, the risk of potentially offending somebody, the risk of potentially losing you know, one of our leaders, the, the risk of you know, getting it wrong, but whatever it may be, the risk of having a worship style that people don't like, and whatever it is, we've got to start trying new things and taking risks in a, in, a, in a guided way, not just random risks, but risks that yeah. have a chance of moving us toward that new and fresh vision for where we're going. Yeah. I, I love when I see churches get back on the leading edge of faith again, where like, what, what is, what is the thing that God is asking us to do that even scares us a little bit? We don't, it, it won't be, it won't be pretty and it won't be buttoned up. Maybe, maybe that's just the very thing that the team needs in that season to, to keep moving and return to that place of predictable success. Um, you know, we, we promised a snack on this podcast and we're giving them a meal, Scott. I appreciate you. you were going to say something right there. <laughs> yeah, uh, it has real consequences, especially in a church environment. Like I remember, mm -hmm. um, a time where we were leaving our church and there was a group of people smoking outside because they'd just come to know the Lord and still had a smoking habit, right? And my son was kind of like, well, how do I, how, what do I do with this? You know, like, how do I process this? And I was like, I love it. I love having people smoking outside of our front door of our church because it means that we're impacting lives and, and not exactly. nothing like smoking, whatever. Like I'm not talking about that, but it's just, it, it, you have to create space for messiness, right? You don't have yeah. to have a perfect membership program. You got to lead people to the Lord. That's right. Uh, and, That's right. and so there, there's, it's just helpful to kind of say, there's a messiness to this. Yes. That's beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. Let's close it up with just one final question here. And that is, if, if you were having coffee right now, you're sitting across the table, a pastor or maybe someone who, who's leading organizationally in the church, maybe an executive pastor of some kind, they just feel stuck or frustrated. How would you encourage them right now if they, yeah. they, were, they were your coffee appointment this afternoon? So yeah, very first thing would just be like, it, it's normal to get stuck. You know, when we get stuck, we feel like we did something wrong. When you look at this early struggle, whitewater treadmill, those aren't actually because we did something wrong. That's right. right? They are the natural progression of things. Yeah. Uh, it's like getting mad because you're a teenager, right? So it's, just, it's just part of the deal, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. So the very first thing is you're probably stuck because you did something right, not because you did something wrong, mm. and the game has changed. So mm. at least the second point is the, the next thing you have to do is you have to find out where did you get stuck? Because if you got stuck in treadmill, the route to getting out is actually the exact opposite of if you got stuck in whitewater. That's right. So you need to get with the rest of your team Get your heads together, get a copy of the book, you know, listen to Les's podcast, uh, just talk, oh, figure out what stage are we stuck in. Yeah. And from there, that's the way that you'll be able to get out. Yeah. And I, I, we can end it there, but I'm so glad you said that because I see a lot of 
pastors and leaders out there winning and they don't even know they're winning. They're they're winning because they got their church started and off the ground. If you are if you are still standing in early struggle, you are still in the minority of those who who have a shot at making it making it through the hardest season. Um, and, and for, you know, for those who are experiencing organizational challenges, I I just think, I I appreciate your perspective. We need to celebrate where we're actually winning here while the challenges do carry very, very real weight. And, uh, Hey, thank you, Scott. Thanks for some time today. Thanks for talking with us. Thanks for the meal today. I, yeah. I really, <laughs> actually, really appreciate absolutely it. Absolutely a pleasure. <laughs> I, I wish I could make it a little more bite-sized for us, but uh, but it, it's it's just really helpful to kind of get that momentum behind it because, again, it is. It's that opportunity to say, hey, we're on the map, and and who do we have with us? We have the right people. Yes. All right, let's go. And you do that. The, the, the ability to turn things around is surprisingly close. Well, thank you, Scott. Appreciate you today. Well, thank you for joining us for another great conversation today. I pray this has helped you in some way. If it has, hit the subscribe button and plan to join us every Thursday morning for another important conversation for all of us who lead from the middle. And hey, consider heading to leadingsecond.com slash podcast. We have the episode guide there. Consider using this with your team if you would find it helpful. Leading Second, we love you. We're thankful for you. Until next time, let's run strong for the kingdom and lead in an uncommon way together. God bless you. To find the episode guide, visit our website, leadingsecond.com forward slash podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leading Second and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook. Facebook.